So today what I want to do is just spend a few moments in the story of Christmas. And uh, we, we know this story from two of the four Gospels. There are, in the New Testament, four portraits, four narratives tell us the story of Jesus and his life and ministry, but only two of them tell the story of his birth. And it's interesting because the two are very different even in their accounts. We, we had Luke read earlier, wasn't that totally adorable, uh, in the service, and so there you have the long version, and Matthew tells us uh, the story from Joseph's perspective. His is much shorter. Men we know are generally briefer, so Joseph's story is briefer than Mary's account of this, but what's interesting about it is all the things that Matthew doesn't include in his Because he certainly knew all the things that Luke knew, and probably uh, more, but chooses not to include, like what we would consider, big parts of the story. There's no angelic appearance to to Mary at Nazareth saying, you're about to give birth to the Messiah. Matthew doesn't include that. There's there's no... um, uh, angel singing in 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 the heavens. There's no shepherds. There's not even a nativity scene. Matthew doesn't even have a nativity moment, Jesus in the manger, none of that. What Matthew has is names and what those names mean. That's what he emphasizes and what I want to emphasize uh, here with you uh, in, in our Christmas Eve service. So let me just bring you up to speed to the story uh, as told by, by Matthew and Luke, but uh, the story begins in this town called Nazareth. And in, this is like maybe 5 BC, 6 BC, you have there in, uh, in Israel, in a real backwater little town, Nazareth was like, you know, n- Nowheresville, Hicksville, nobody significant ever came out of Nazareth, nobody's ever going to come out of Nazareth, it's just kind of a backwater town. And there you have a very normal couple, Mary and Joseph, with very normal names, Mary Joseph, right? So uh, it's not like they're the only ones even with those names in the Bible, which is very common, ordinary people. And they are engaged to be married. And their engagement is following the norms and the customs of their people and of their day. And in, in, uh, at that time in, in Judaism, the controls that were placed upon an engaged couple were very strict. In fact, engagement itself in the Jewish culture was like our engagement on steroids. To break an engagement required a certificate of divorce. So it was much closer to actually being married. Uh, We might even say it was like being married, only the Ten Commandments say that uh, sex outside of actual marriage is not God's will. And so the couple was placed under very sort of strict sort of controls over their time together and and such to maintain uh, purity for them to anticipate coming together as husband and wife. And so there's Mary and Joseph. They're just kind of doing their thing. And uh, everything seems to be uh, fine until one day, again, this is Joseph's perspective in Matthew, one day Mary comes to Joseph and says, Joseph, I have some news for you. I'm pregnant. Now, what's any red-blooded male going to think when his fiancée comes to him and says that she's 
pregnant, right? He's going to think to himself, now wait a second, I know that I haven't been with you, and the only conclusion that I can come to if you are pregnant is that you have cheated on me, Mary. I can't believe that you would cheat on me. Thank you for the sound effect. That's sort of the feeling of it. Like, what? How could you do this? And Mary now gives a response. God did it. And you can sort of see Joseph's eyes like rolling in in his head, right? Like, what do you mean God did it? If I've heard that once, I've heard it a thousand times. God did it, really. The Holy Spirit got you pregnant. And Matthew tells us that no doubt Joseph heard the story from Mary. He didn't believe it, and we can't really fault him for that. I mean, it's an outlandish sort of thing. Who's ever heard of such a thing? And he was a righteous man, and he loved Mary, and he decided that, yes, this is a deal breaker, but I'm going to end this relationship quietly. And, uh, and, And so he was getting ready to move forward when Joseph has his own angelic moment. And an angel appears to Joseph and says to him, what Mary is telling you is true. And he says, you need to marry Mary. And he goes on to say this, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Now remember, Matthew, no angels singing, No shepherds there outside of Bethlehem. No nativity scene. What does he have? He has names. And he emphasizes that the angel tells Joseph that the son's name is to be Jesus. For he, he shall save his people from their sins. Now, on the surface, this would not have been really shocking Okay, that he, okay, Jesus is to be his name. We know from uh, studies that have been done of like uh, scrolls of names, etc., that, that at this time, Jesus was somewhere around the sixth most popular name that was given to a boy at that time. Okay? Now, I got curious. I'm thinking to myself, well, I wonder what today the sixth most popular boy name is. So I got online. I looked at the list. You can sort of do this, you know. And I looked at the list. The sixth most popular name currently in the United States for a boy, Ethan. Okay, and all the Ethans said? Okay. <laughs> we just don't have any popular people in this service. Okay. I mean, Ethan's, a, it's a fine name, okay? It's like, it's like, you know, the angel appeared to you and said, name him Ethan. You'd go, Ethan, okay, it's a good male, strong name. I know some guys named Ethan. I'm okay with the name Ethan. That itself was not a surprise, And the angel emphasizes that his name was named Jesus, not because of popularity, but because of clarity. Clarity of purpose, why he came. In fact, the name Jesus literally means Savior. And you you hear that in Matthew's words there. You shall name him Savior, Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That is why he came. He came to save his people. So his name explains his mission. Now, Matthew goes on here to explain what all of this is about, what's going on here, and what he does now to explain it is he reaches back into the Old Testament, and if you ever read through the Gospel of Matthew, he does this all the time because he's writing 
primarily to Jews to convince Jews that Jesus is the Messiah. And so he oftentimes will have this fulfillment language where something will happen and he'll say this was done in order to fulfill the prophecy XYZ. Well, that's what he does here in Matthew 1. And he reaches back into the Old Testament to the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 7. And he applies it now to what is happening here in Nazareth and then in Bethlehem. Here's what he says. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now what I want you to notice here is that you you see those parentheses, okay? If you go back to Isaiah 7 and you read that verse, the parentheses isn't in there. That parentheses is not Isaiah, that's Matthew. Matthew inserting a commentary, just wanting to make sure everybody knows what Emmanuel means. It means God with us. And we find in this what the emphasis that Matthew is wanting to bring. Again, it's not shepherds and angels and nativity. It's what all of this means. It means that God has come. A virgin has given birth. This is a supernatural birth. The prophecies spoke about it. And now, what does it mean? It means that God has visited us. God has come. That child that was in that manger, that that oh holy night, was doing all the normal human things that a child does. It was he was crying and he was sleeping and he was suckling and he was filling his diaper and all the normal things. He was just as normal as you and I in terms of being human. But simultaneously within his nature was deity. He was God and human. He was the God-man. He was the God-child. He was the God-infant in a manger. And that is the wonder of it, right? Blows our minds. How can we understand this? It's just so hard. And yet that's what the Bible says was happening. I wonder, uh, I wonder if you are familiar with the uh, television show Undercover Boss. Okay, undercover boss. I'm going to guess probably somewhere along the way you've watched this show. It's been on for some time, just in case you haven't. The way that this show works is that um, the CEO or the president type guy, girl of a company uh, goes undercover. So they dress them up so that the employees won't know who they are. And then they, they go and they work somewhere way down the org chart. Okay in the factory, in the whatever, working with some employees, and the employees don't know that this is actually the CEO. And so the CEO is able to sort of watch what's going on, what are they saying, what's the scuttlebutt, what are they saying about the CEO, right? What's working efficiently, what's not working, who's working efficiently, who's not working. And then at the end of the show, there's the unveiling, where they bring those employees into a room, and now the CEO doesn't have the, you know, the get up on, and they say, hey, remember Sharon, right? Well, her name's not Sharon. I'm Shelly, the CEO. And they have this moment where like, what, you know? And some people in that moment are praised and they're given rewards and some people are fired. <laughs> like, I heard what you said and there's the door. And so it's kind of a fun, poignant moment there at the end of, of the show. Now, I wonder if you watched it this week. 
Because this week, Wednesday night, the undercover boss was the mayor of the city of Gary, Indiana. Mayor Karen Freeman Wilson was the undercover uh, boss. And I, I was excited to watch it because uh, as we've been doing our Gary campus and the City Life Center, we've actually gotten to know her. She's been a wonderful help to us in the process. And so it was kind of like, wow, here's, here's somebody that I know is the, is the undercover boss. And so um, you see the get up that they put on her uh, so that you know, they wouldn't suspect who this, this was. And so if you watch this show, then, then you know that like, I think the first place that she went to was the waste treatment plant of Gary, okay? And she goes walking in there, and the guy doesn't realize who he is. They're, you know, they're chit-chatting, and, and he's saying this, that, and the other, and he takes her to this big, like, box, vat thing, and it's, it's just, it's filled with human, you know? So, um, and her job is to, and she's in there, and she's, like, you know, mixing it, right? She's mixing it. Yeah, she was pretty disgusted by it as well. Another scene, uh, she's at Marquette Beach. Okay, we use Marquette Beach for our summer uh, baptisms. And uh, she was working with the maintenance guy, and they were picking up the trash along Marquette Beach. And there she is driving this, like, tractor thing, driving the clutch and all that. It was just, you know, it's like, well, there's the mayor doing this. So anyway, I'd like for you to imagine with me what it was like at the waste treatment plant of Gary on Thursday. In other words, the day after the, sh- the episode showed. Can you imagine the workers there, right? They are like, did you watch the episode last night? I watched it. Did you see the, the mayor was here at the waste treatment plant? I know. She was stirring the human. I know. Why was that shocking? Because mayors aren't known for spending time at the waste treatment plant, are they? No, mayors are for offices and important meetings, etc. But here was the mayor at the waste treatment plant. Here's the mayor picking up the trash on, on Marquette Beach. The manger takes what is shocking about that to the infinite degree. God, almighty God, became undercover God and was born into our mess, was born into our waste, was born into our stench, born into the mess that we have made of this world, born into the family drama and the political drama and the religious drama of his day, born into a world that hated him, people that wanted to kill and to murder him, people that just wanted what they wanted out of him, and yet he came. Why? To save his people from their sins. The ultimate condescension was Jesus becoming human and living amongst us. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And so we ask the question, well, how does that help me? Like, okay, fine, a guy, you know, baby was born, that was God 2,000 years ago. How does, that, how does that help me? How does Emmanuel help me? Well, it reminds me a little bit about, of my, my one-year-old daughter, Madeline. Okay, I have this one-year-old daughter, and... She, for some time, has been able to walk. 
but she doesn't realize it, okay? She's got all the strength, she's got all the coordination, but she cannot bring herself to let go of things. And so if you were at our house, you would see our cute, adorable little Madeline, and here she is, and she's holding on to the wall, right? She walks around the room like this. Coffee table, coffee table, coffee, couch, 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 couch. That's how she gets around. And she loves it when, she loves to walk when when we hold her, okay? And so she'll do this, okay? We'll we'll put our fingers like this, and she'll hold on to our fingers, and now she's like, ah, 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 she loves it. It's like the happiest moment of her day is when mommy and daddy are holding her hand, and she's walking. Now, after, after the, the first service today, I had parents tell me, here's what you got to do. You get markers, and she holds on to the markers, and you hold on to the marker, and then you let go, and she doesn't realize it, and she just goes, <laughs> I can't wait to get home and try that. <laughs> Let's cut this service short. That is going to be something to see, Okay. But she loves, you know, ock, ock, ock. She wants to know that, that we are there, okay? We're there with her. Because apparently the world is a scary place if you're one year old. But is it so different no matter what your age is? I mean, this is a scary world that we live in, isn't it? Did you see the video from Berlin this week? That was insane. Or how about the shootout in Italy yesterday? Did you hear about that? Or you think about 2016, here we are ending the year, and you just say Orlando or ISIS. And just all the turmoil that's going on in the world right now, all the tensions, and just, it's like, you know, it's like a powder keg. How about your world? Forget the the big stuff in the world. How about your world and your family and how you are inside tonight? Is there tension? Is there issue? Is there drama? Are you maybe not looking forward to tomorrow? Getting together with family for that blessed Christmas time? This world's a lonely place. And so often, here we are in this, you know, this one planet hurtling through a universe and a medium-sized solar system, and we're one of seven billion people, and in the quiet moments we wonder, God, are you there? Right? Ock, 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 are you there? How can we know that he cares for us? Emmanuel. He is Emmanuel. God with us. Not God from afar. God with us. God who became us. God who died to save us. And that's where Emmanuel and Jesus, those two names, have to come together in our understanding of of who God is and who Jesus is, to understand that he was God, that he dwelt among us. And why he came, he came to save us from our sins. And the Bible says that if a sinner will acknowledge and believe and trust in Jesus as the Savior, not just the Savior, but as my personal Savior, that All the saving benefits of of Jesus and what he did are applied to me personally. My sins are forgiven. I have a right relationship with God. I am granted the gift of eternal life. 
I have new life in Christ. And I wonder here on this night if that's true for you. Tonight as you sit here right now, do you know the presence of God in your life? Do you know Jesus as your Savior? And if not, what better time could there be than on Christmas Eve to put your faith in the one who came as a baby in a manger, but who grew up and died on a cross for our sins? I just put him before you. Trust and believe and be saved. The Bible says this, so actually a hymn writer says this. I think you'll recognize it. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with men to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel. Hark, the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. Amen? Amen.